Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. I am Adam. I'm Claire. Yes. Yeah. I promise. <laughs> Claire is with us. I am. Um, yeah, so Claire chose this for her birthday choice. Um, I know me and Adam were very excited about this. We will get Chris's feedback later, but knowing Chris as well as we do, I think you may be in for a big post-COVID hug next time you see him. <laughs> um, so, yes, so, so we've covered this evening um, Theatre of Blood with the always impeccable Vincent Price. Um, and in the run-up to this... Um, Let's start with Claire. Have you seen anything apart from this movie horror related recently which you've particularly enjoyed? Yes, I have. Ooh. I watched a documentary called What is that? Is what we watched? No, what we watched. Oh, is, that's, what that's where I jumped. What's down. it called? Last Soul. Lost, Lost Souls. Oh, Lost the Soul. Island of Doctor Moreau. Yes. Yes. I knew nothing about the film. I knew nothing about it apart from. I'd seen it on The Simpsons, between <laughs> horror. Yes, but as, um, as, as I said, technically they they are actually doing the Island of Lost Souls with uh, Charles Lawton, but uh, <laughs> it trans translates very much the same. <laughs> but yeah, we watched that, and it was just brilliant. It was it's made me want to watch the film because I think. If there wasn't a film at the end of it, it would be hard to believe that everything that happened happened. Yes. Yeah. In mm -hmm. that documentary. And just the phrase, if, um, if I was making a movie about Val Kilmer's life, I still wouldn't cast that prick. <laughs> um, it's just, it's art. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, we, um, funnily enough, we spotted it, it's, it's on Shudder. Um, I have I have got it on Blu-ray, which actually has extended stuff, but we've seen we've seen it. Now. But um, yeah, it's, they've got it on Shudder at the moment, and I don't know if I don't know if you've seen it, Chris. I don't know if you have actually. Did you? I've not. No. Oh Christ! It's a it's it's a total recommend. It's, it's really good. A mm. bit like you know you know like the, there's lots of Terry Gilliam ones. Yeah. Where it's like Terry Gilliam and how much God hates him because he <laughs> sends natural disasters and things like that. It's a bit like that, but it's um, obviously the original director is uh, Richard Stanley. Yeah. And he, yeah, him just sort of starting off, he is one of the best talking heads you will ever see because he is remorselessly funny and it does uh, tell you some great anecdotes, especially about when I hired a mystic whose name was uh, Skip. And uh, I got him to perform a ritual when I was going to meet producers. And he's, you know, <laughs> just he's just wonderfully brilliant anyway. And then Val Kilmer turns up as a cackling villain of an arsehole that we all knew he was. Yeah. And then Marlon Brando turns up as basically God playing with them as if they were his private parts. <laughs> he gives no fucks. He, I mean, there's one point in the documentary where Val Kilmer is so up his own ass. He's not coming out of his trailer mm. until Marlon Brando comes out of his trailer. And 
Brando's not coming out of his trailer until Val Kilmer comes out oh his. Because they're both the stars, so neither's coming out first. Um, can, can, wait, can we just pause there a moment? Did you dislike Val Kilmer before seeing this, did you say? I always thought, like, my nan had a phrase of, if he was chocolate, he'd eat himself. <laughs> but, but, so where did that come from I'd never heard of Val Kilmer as being overly arrogant before not that I'd, I don't even know him very well you know because I obviously know him like I know all celebrities but he's notoriously uh, yeah. trouble yeah I have mm. heard that this okay. goes to prove quite how it bad is. he is but I have heard yeah, I mean, he did play Jim Morrison in a film he does look a bit like him but mm. he's also a, a absolute raging attention whore so i think he probably got it more on that than uh i think if he was easy to work with and fun to work with if someone was play played batman and jim morrison they'd still be working now yeah like (laughs) that's that's a good point just not work anymore if he was pleasant to work with he would have we wouldn't know who tom cruise was (laughs) tom Tom cruise would be like an 80s trivia question But because Val Kilmer is such a tit, you know, um, and and Brando obviously had has got a reputation, but Brando, Brando is there for devilry. He's like he's like an imp. He's causing mischief. And and obviously you've got stuff, and obviously you get the stuff in there that there's the uh, tiny uh, actor who's in uh, Island of Doctor Morrow, who basically is dressed as Morrow. Mm. And that's where Mini Me comes from. It's where Mephesto and mm. Kevin and South Park comes from and stuff like that. And that was entirely Marlon Brando because he turned up and he was like, I like this little, this little guy, I like him. Yeah, he should be dressed exactly like me and appear in every scene with me. And it was like, yes, Mr. Brando. But then let's also not forget that Brando also said, what I should do is my character should wear a hat the entire film at the end take it off and there's a blowhole and he's been a dolphin all along. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just not forget he said that too. Now, it's unfortunate because obviously the story with Richard Stanley is he got chopped off and replaced with a different director. And that's before Brando even arrived to film it or anything else like that. I do get the impression that he would have actually gone with that and just been like, that's an amazing idea, Marlon. Mm. Right. We we're closed down for two months, Marvin. <laughs> yeah, you go and work with dolphins. We'll get the makeup guys to do the whole. And, but basically, yeah. So they pay off Richard Stanley and send him on his way. Richard Stanley goes to the airport and disappears. He never turns up in America again. So the production are panicking because they don't know what's happened to Richard Stanley. Because just before that, um, he did threaten to blow up the entire set. That's why they're panicking. Well, he threatened to blow up the entire set and he also spoke to a local Aborigine about cursing it. Um, and um, it was... <laughs> but basically, yeah, there's two drivers on it who are like the most Australian-like yeah. like guys who work on a film you've ever seen. Mm. And um, they said, oh yeah, we. I was in this, I was in this bar and I said, "There's this. I met this crazy Englishman, and he's he he was there stoned, saying Val Kilmer had fucked his life." <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, that must be rich." <laughs> so they went and found Richard Stanley and smuggled him back onto the film. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, but seriously, it's so worth 
it's brilliant. You know, yeah, really we're only scratching the surface of what makes it <laughs> compelling. But yeah, some of the stories are. Yeah. Just I, what what was it called? Lost Souls. And yeah, I think it, uh, it's definitely it's on Shudder. I think it's on Shudder. Mm. Um, it's definitely on. I definitely saw it on Amazon Prime, but I've got Shudder through that, so mm. yeah, I'm sure yeah. It's Shudder. Yeah. And yeah, well worth a watch. Excellent, fantastic. Yep, yeah, I've uh, I've underlined that, so I'll definitely be going back to that in the week. Thank you very much. Um, Adam, have you caught up with anything in the week? Uh, only other thing was I watched RoboCop. Um, mm. I've got it on Blu-ray. Haven't seen it for—I mean, not that long, maybe a few years or whatever like that. Still holds up. It's actually quite a weird one to watch at the moment because obviously there is the stuff in there. Like you, it's halfway of you've got cops trying to, um, like saying they're going to go on strike and stuff like that. So a lot, a lot of it feels pretty prescient, as well as obviously the whole thing about you know, militarising the police and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and th But then weirdly, there is the element of it where there is those that retain their integrity in the film are, it's because I'm a cop. And it's like sort of, that it's like there's a differentiation in their heads with the people who are fucking it. Yeah. You, do you know what I mean? And it's, so that's quite, that, that I think just, yeah, just in light of the moment seemed quite prescient. But, still great. I mean, you watched half of it with me and then had to go to bed, didn't you? Yeah. I did. yeah. But I did get to tell her about the bit in the lift where it's, uh, yeah, I called the old man Iron Balls. Okay. I, and then what was it? Uh, and then just the, the version of it that ends up on the ad adapted version that was on ITV years ago. I even called him Airhead. <laughs> like, you, you've called him a lot worse and then airhead seems quite out of the thing you know <laughs> um but yeah that's obviously great and then last night for no good reason i decided i was going to watch an episode of the x files because i couldn't find extra to actually watch and x it was next to x on the search thing so um yeah and i watched the episode and it was the episode with um i, I thought fuck it i'll just pick a one at random that i've heard's good so I watched the new one with Reese Darby in it. And uh, yeah, that is a proper, what, that would be back in the day, one of those X-Files episodes like Humbug or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah, or Clive Bruckman's Final Repose and things like that, where they're quite the quirky ones or the funny, you know, the ones that sort of poked fun at it. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, Reese Darby's in it. Uh, Shangela Lequeef for Watley's in it. It's So there's some there's some good... Um, good members of the cast and uh, thingy, um, Reese Darby is dressed as Kolchak he's okay. dressed exactly like Kolchak the Night Stalker so interesting yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah that's, that's, that's what I've been watching but that I'm going to definitely start I think there's no way on earth I'm going to watch 10 series of the X-Files I bottomed out around about series 3 years ago and have caught little bits now and then but I think I don't mind going back and watching or sort of watching odd episodes. Hmm. Treat it like the anthology series, it, it kind of is. Yeah. C could um, you take a few episodes out of each series and sort of make her, you know, the best that's of That's what I'm thinking, because there's stuff like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of classics in there. You'd have to include um, Squeeze. I think that's like the first, apart from the, because that's like the third episode, but that's the first one. That's the, with the guy who can stretch through vents. Yeah. Uh, Eugene Toombs 
Um, and then, yeah, there's, and then he did a sequel. And there's, there's a few sort of, and Humbug would definitely be one. Um, there's a lot of, and there's, there's even one called, what is it? I think it's just called Agents. And it's basically an episode of Cops. So they did their kind of found footage episode years ago. Hmm. In a weird way, is they basically, it was like Cops, that it was two people, like these reporters were working with Moulton Scully. And it was just seeing them as through this documentary crew's eyes and stuff. And that was, that, that was a pretty good one. So, yeah, that, weirdly enough, I think that's something that we might come, we should come back to as a podcast. We possibly should, because I never really saw much X-Files. I definitely saw one or two episodes. Mm. Um, but I did know about Gillian Anderson, because I oh, think yeah. she was rated as the sexiest woman in the world by GQ at the yeah. time. And by and my friends. Loved reading GQ or, and by you, yeah. And now what's interesting is Shelley started watching uh, Sex Education. And so she's watching it behind me in the office. And so every so often I sort of hear sex-related talk and it's Gillian Anderson saying it. And it's like, hmm, if only this had been out back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you, Chris. I think I've only seen two, two, two episodes. Mm, okay. Yeah, I don't think I've seen many at all. Mm. Again, The Simpsons has provided most of the X-Files knowledge. There's a fantastic episode with uh, Giovanni Ribisi. Um, with the, the soundtrack for the episode is all done by Tracks from the Vandals. which Oh, really? Yeah. It's fantastic. So it's him before he was famous, just playing a small character. Um, if I remember, it's something to do with him... He can he can conduct electricity and fire out lightning like the emperor. Oh, I seem mm. to recall that. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, the, all the soundtrack from it is all the vandals, and it's him. So. Oh, nice. That's one worth going back and watching. There's there's another one. There's the story of the cigarette smoking man. That's a good episode. That's mm. definitely worth checking out. Cigarette smoking man. It, you know the guy who he used to be man, called Cancer Man. Yeah. Who was and like the more smoking mm-hmm. in the background and yeah but they did a um yeah they did an episode about like his and it was like him it was basically it was all the things of every conspiracy that he's been involved with so he shot Kennedy uh. stuff like that but in the but in the but the whole thing was actually about him being a failed writer and it was mm. him trying to get like a science fiction story published with loads of people just like sending it back saying that's rubbish no one would believe this shit and it's like <laughs> i run the government's alien conspiracy <laughs> i know i've been to roswell you know it's mm. like, and he just can't get anything published so everyone thinks he's just writing bullshit sort of crappy alien <laughs> <laughs> nice um i did want to say actually claire um how proud we all are here at welcome Torah of you for keeping up with all the things we've been watching <laughs> Um, mm. For yeah. somebody who initially said, I, I don't watch horror and I've got no interest in it, you've delved quite deep on some of the episodes. Things like uh, Let the Right One In, uh, spoiler alert, next episode, uh, previous episode, um, <laughs> but next episode now when this is it, oh, fuck knows, I'm confusing myself. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's our previous episode. It's our previous episode, but yeah. it hasn't actually aired yet. But, um, but yeah, like, to get involved in that type of stuff, which I'd put quite high up the scary scale, really. Well, yeah, and when, um, like, before I started watching, like, 
I would say ghosts and and vampires were like right up the top for things that shit me up. Mm. And um, like I was saying to you, Lee, like I did not watch The Ring because I've watched The Ring and I hate it. Mm. But yeah, I thought I thought that the right one in was sweet. I thought <laughs> it was really cute, but. Um, because it was nice to see a vampire story that isn't all sexy because yeah. vampires are just made sexy and um it was nice for them that not to be the case the fact that she was a vampire i don't know you could have made a, a different film but her not being a vampire yeah. that's just something mm. that isn't it if you change the story it could be a different film <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah no you're yeah, right I'm, I'm really enjoying it and I'm, the more I'm watching, the more I'm finding out that horror isn't just about how scared can you make something. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm glad to hear it. I think that's one of the things we've we kind of, we've been trying to uh, instill in people who hopefully have been following the series. Um, yeah, is that I think in people's minds, they're like, if I'm going to sit down and watch anything in the horror genre... I'm going to be uncomfortably scared and I'm not going to enjoy it. And they don't realise that those films are, are one in a hundred. And there's so many genre films that are, uh, although they, they're they about vampires or ghosts or whatever, they don't have to be terrifying. Like there's so much more going on in the genre and it isn't just about scaring people to such a point that it scares the shit out of them. So, yeah. And, and I still think... I'm laughing because I know what Adam's going to say. Like, it's tension that does it <laughs> for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. because we watched Bake Off the Professional. Well, right. I watched Bake <laughs> Off the Professional and I absorb it by proxy and sit there and relentlessly mock it, which I think is what it's there for. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the other day they were making, like, um, sugar sculptures, wasn't it? And they were. Like, and literally everyone's stuff was all falling to pieces <laughs> as they're getting they go you've got five minutes and people take things out of the fridge and they're not done and everything and so on and so forth and i swear to you the way claire was carrying on i said to her you've watched the shining yeah. <laughs> watched let the right one you, in you, you should be able to handle this. yeah but this yeah. is what was do that doing her in yeah. much more so than any <laughs> film I could have shown. Yeah. You were so Carberry. That was fucking funny. Too real. But it is. It's one of those. It, attention is a very different thing, I think, to to horror. Because um, I love horror, but I stopped watching um, oh, Breaking Bad. Um, yeah about three four episodes into season two because i was coming home every day from work and we like to come home and put something on and relax and i was putting it on and it just made me tense for an hour and a quarter and i was like yeah this isn't like all this it's, it's a compelling story mm. but i just find it finishes and I'm, i've got ad pain it's like putting one of those <laughs> electrocution things on it just has me so on edge and so tight mm. that yeah. like it's a great workout without having to leave the sofa, but I don't find it relaxing or enjoyable. Like, it's just... Yeah. yeah. I think it also helps that, like, gore doesn't bother me at all. So, because no. this film, I forgot how gory it was. Mm. But, yeah, gore doesn't bother me at all. So, 
that element of horror doesn't affect me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm enjoying watching loads of films I know nothing about. That, that's fun. And you're picking up favourites. You're, you're, you're a Vincent Price fan. I am. I'm a Christopher mm. Lee fan. Yeah, we know. See, you uh, are, that's the thing. You are, you are picking up on the right people. So, you, you know, you do have an eye for it, I think. I love that era of television, though, as well. Like, the 70s, like, Mission Impossible TV series, Columbo, they're two of my all-time favourite things. And it's the same era. Mm. It's that era of... The same production era. Yeah. yeah. That, that I really dig. And also the fact that, I don't know, 90% of any American 60s horror film I can show you, it'll be like, where do I know him from? Columbo? Yeah. Yeah. They'll have been the villain. Yeah. Well, Vincent Price was in Columbo. He wasn't actually the murderer, was he? No. But he's in... Oh, really? yeah. yeah. Which seems a bit of a waste, but also... Vincent Price, if you make it, I mean, even though you know who's done it in Colombo, it would still be like if he walks into the room and he don't twig, it's Vincent Price has done it. You know, yeah. this. <laughs> cool. Um, so Chris, have you seen anything in the last week? Yes, I've continued Ooh. my history of horror. So I think I've actually done the last one because I messed up the sequence. There might be one more after this, but this one was on monsters. So mm. you won't be surprised to hear that they covered Gremlins. They mentioned Krampus as well, which was pretty good. Um, and of course, The Thing. That was the two main ones that I saw. No, it was interesting. Oh, sorry. It was, in fact, the first one as well. Okay. So, um, yeah, uh, I thought it was kind of funny. Stephen King said, kids are scared of clowns because he says he, you know, he gets abuse from clowns. Uh, you know, kids are scared of clowns and they're a disguise for what's really under there you know you shouldn't shoot the messenger just because he's passing on that information so yeah so that, that was really good um and then what they said about monsters are that they can do anything they want they don't follow the rules you know mm. a monster you can create a monster to do anything really um and so yeah. that can be what makes them really scary um loads of people had loads of love for gremlins um someone said that when they went there, they went there as a family and they thought it was going to be like E.T. And it started off. And it also had a Steven Spielberg kind of a feel to it all. You know, it was all like... Yeah. Just a nice Christmas sort of film. And yeah, and then it all kicked off and it was like balls to the wall horror movie. What's going on? But it said, yeah, it's just amazing. Um, and it was interesting. Joe Dante, Dante said he yeah. grew up watching things like The Invisible Man because he said... I don't know if he said people were confused, but... It's the idea of just how funny it was and with the horror element to it was a bit unusual for some people, I think. Yeah. Um, and he said he loved the dichotomy of comedy. And as you've always said, you know, the way comedy works is you're surprised um, or it's something you don't expect or, you know, and, and the yeah. timing as well was really important. And so he just loves mixing the two. He is um, one of the masters as well. Joe Dante is yeah. one of the best mm. there is for mixing comedy and horror. Fantastic. Mm. Definitely. But yeah, and he said, uh, it's funny, the studio did not understand the film at all. You know, when it was being made, didn't understand it. When it was released, they didn't understand it. They were just happy it made loads of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, and then yeah, so the thing, tons of praise for that. You know, the way they, the monster was different in every scene, sort of was a change, you know, you hadn't really seen it before. And the fact that it's, you don't know who it is, you know, so just some great elements there. Eli even said, it's the holy grail of horror movies. Um, so he had a lot of love for it. 
And then they went on to humans versus nature. And they said the birds was the first film to really do that. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see that back in because I, I did watch that as a child. I think I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, that was one that when I left the house, my friend's house, I was, I remember just, I ran so fast, like the adrenaline just kicked in and I saw a bird in the sky and it was like, that was it. I was off. <laughs> so like, I just remember the feeling of, I did not expect to be this scared of birds after seeing that. Um, obviously it faded by the next day, but it still, it was like just that, yeah, I've never thought that a bird would attack me before. And now, you know, yeah. happened. It's, yeah, it's so, great, so to come, great to come out of a film with a new phobia. Yeah. This week I saw a video of a seagull eat the whole rat. Mm. There's a no. insight into my life. Yeah. 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 Holy shit. yeah. yeah. In, in, in a high street. Yeah. With people walking around it. It's just, is, it, yeah. is, like, is this because they're not getting as much food because people haven't been out as much? There, there distinctly is that, but I think I think it's also just there's a rat there and eating that because they are fucking great bastards. Yeah, that's, that's, that's something you saying about that. That's something I do think we need to address at some point. Is we've not done a Hitchcock, mm. and you know they, they some, did talk about his possible because um, you know I hadn't heard this before, but they said the whole story is a woman who starts off and she's quite a liberal, strong woman who knows what she wants and like isn't afraid of anything. And then by the end, she's a quivering wreck, which is what men want their housewives to be. And the actor, I've forgotten her name, um, said that she thinks, who was it? Is it Tippy Hedren in The Birds? I think it could be Tippy Hedren. Let me check. Yeah. Um, Yeah, she said, you know, maybe... Uh, Alfred Hitchcock had a bit too much going on in his life related to that, perhaps. Um, yes, yeah. I think. I mean, Hitchcock. Hitchcock let it all hang out, and I mm. can honestly, I can honestly say, and I don't think because I mean, even if you get like later in his career, you he get stuff to be like, oh, Um But I think like later on in his career, when like because I mean, he was directing from the silent era. Mm. Um, and um he did that war film what was that war thing oh the that was the that wasn't that the uh, it wasn't the holocaust one was it i think it was just was it the holocaust it was yeah Yeah. and he came in and like he was um part of the production team of um they did this film that was going to be demonstrating the holocaust that was actually filmed at the time that they were liberating the camps just after the war Mm. and and he was part of the team. He was like the sort of one of the unit directors and he was like part of the editing team of that. Mm. It's only been released. Ten like, years. Yeah, I think it was like, yes, it was a few years ago because it was like the sort of, um, yeah, I think it was like sort of however, sort of 80 odd years since it had been yeah. first made and but they hadn't actually sort of finally put it together and got it released. So... I think it was because they were saying that like, people were watching the footage and everybody was so affected by mm. the footage, mm. nobody could get through editing it together because there's just hundreds of hours mm. of yeah. that footage and no one wanted to do it. And, yeah. I think, and they said, I don't, you know, there was a thing, even though it was like a, it was like a government sort of uh, initiative that sort of started it off, there was the element where it was like, people probably won't want to see this. 
that you know people people were at least aware of what had gone on mm. and had seen news footage and things like that and they were like is anyone going to want after all this is anyone going to sit down and watch mm. two hours yeah you know and it's which is you know it's it's a totally understandable thing but i mean yes yeah, so, i mean he was working from the silent era and then by the time you get to frenzy which is sort of like early 70s and that is pure early 70s that 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 looks like most of how theatre of blood looks but without the theatrical fl- flourishes mm. so it's just a lot of grim london with people being grim yeah. and and it's basically mm. a, it's a man going around strangling people with ties like strangling women with ties mm-hmm. and someone else gets accused of it but by then it's really it's really quite sort of like seedy mm. and it's like and there is that element where it's like if Hitchcock was directing today he would probably be like vilified out there he'd be like doing the human centipede or something mm. he would be or you know a, a Serbian film or something like that you know he'd yeah. be doing something really fucking well really fucked up because he was I mean, it happened that he was very good at his craft, but yeah. It's that's funny. Do you think that that did help it then? Oh, undoubtedly. I think that mm. his his own sort of like psychosexual weirdness certainly bleeds into the films. Um, but also, I think, I mean, he, you know, because I mean, there's the interesting thing is, well, if you watch something, anything you watch of Hitchcock, you suddenly go, it's like. Oh yeah, no. I thought because we're watching an old film, I'd sort of prepared myself, mm. and then it's oh no, this mm. is this feels really fucking modern. Yeah. yeah, you know, this still feels. This is like I understand why this man is so influential because this is this is a blueprint of how cinema is now. Yeah, mm. and yeah. So I mean, he's sort of because I mean, you watch something like North by Northwest. I was just about to say North by Northwest feels yeah. like a film that was made last year. Yeah, that film is a George Clooney film from about 15 years ago. Yeah. Or something like that, where it's just like, you know, uh, the man and the woman thrown together in odd circumstances. They hate each other's guts, but you know they're going to be boning. Um, but and still be genuinely funny. It's like it's something. It's a bit like with um, Bride of Frankenstein, you know, where it still has funny elements that are meant to be funny and are funny, mm. rather than sort of like we have to make allowances for the time. This was considered funny at the time because a man fell on his ass three times <laughs> and a trumpet went. <laughs> so, whereas you sort of watch Hitchcock and it's like, oh no, probably this could be, you know, this would probably be a fairly successful film now. Mm. You know, for like two big name stars or something, you can see it in that sort of way. That's a perfect segue into what I've been watching this week. Oh, have you been mm. watching? So I have watched the Alfred Hitchcock Hour Sign of Satan episode with Christopher Lee. Oh, nice. Um, so I, I've got a, a book of horror stories with Christopher Lee doing the forward um, and before each story, he kind of says why he chose that story. Oh, so, so he sort of edited it and yeah. introed it. So, oh, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, and this, uh, so the short story, he basically said, you know, I did this for the Alfred Hitchcock hour. 
Um, and it's one of my favourite things I ever did. Oh, nice. Uh, so I managed to dig that out. Uh, I say I'd dig it out, it was on YouTube in its entirety. So I watched <laughs> it. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, really good. Feels really modern. It's It's got a really good, not a twist to it, but it, it's kind of, it's, um, a, it's Shadow of the Vampire before Shadow of the Vampire, effectively. Oh, nice. um, but he isn't a vampire, he's an occultist. So he's in a story about um, a guy who takes part in a black mass and then it turns out he was actually, the film was made by an occult group and they just videoed a real black mass. Um, <laughs> yeah, and basically they're trying to track him down and kill him for releasing the video and stuff. Yeah, and it's really, really good. Really ahead of its time, really clever. Yeah. Nice. Oh, it's like 50 minutes long, it's brilliant. Yeah, I've got a lovely, I've got a lovely um, book you got me um, of Alfred Hitchcock's short stories, and it's called uh, uh, Stories They Wouldn't Let Me Do on TV. <laughs> and it's all like the nastiest <laughs> ones that he wanted to put, that he wanted to do on the Hitchcock Hour on like, Alfred Hitchcock Presents and stuff. And um, yeah, just like sort of 10 horror shorts, but they're really good. Sounds good. I have to dig that out. Um, actually, I watched. I, I've been reading a book this week. I haven't read. A, a, it's one of those books. I really enjoy it, but I'm going to do it in bits. Um, mm -hmm. But it's actually a Vincent Price book. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, that I got from a uh, previous guest on the show, Sharon, got me for my birthday. Um, it's called The Book of Joe. And it's basically, it's just a book written by Vincent Price about how much he fucking loves dogs. Oh yes, <laughs> and it's just him talking about I love dogs because, and it's just a full book of that, and it's so lovely. So I'm I'm using that as like a palate cleanser. So mm. I'm reading a chapter of that, and then a book, a horror book, and then a chapter of that. And oh, it's so just... all the ways he loves dogs, or is it all the dogs he loves? Well, he, so he's got a dog called Joe, who he particularly loves, and the book is about him. But ultimately, it's just about how much everybody loves dogs so they're like the first <laughs> chapter is just about i went to a party once and someone had a dog and that dog just completely ruled the party it was a hollywood party <laughs> it was full of famous people it was full of supermodels and coked up actors and as soon as somebody turned up with a shih tzu the entire party fell apart because everyone wanted to be within two foot of this dog <laughs> oh right now this you can settle a bit here actually you two oh. um adam said at his school, it never, a dog never ran on the playground and everyone lost their shit. Adam said he's never seen that in his life. I've heard, I've, I know people have said about it, it before, yeah. but I don't It happened at our school. At, at Sanders, no. It never happened at Sanders. I remember mm. it happening in my junior school, uh, like, a lot. Like, fairly, oh, right. at least yeah. once a month or so, <laughs> the dog would come in yeah. and everyone Was would just leave their The dead. same dog? against the window and just go <laughs> like, like nobody had ever seen one before like it was snowing and we all lived in africa like the entire place fell to pieces yeah it was just a dog running around in a field I, 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 I suppose it's like we all want to be out there running around in the field that dog's yeah. getting to do it he's doing what we all want to yeah. do yeah yeah live our life for us <laughs> <laughs> it's free <laughs> 
that's all I remember is a black dog. So maybe it was one dog who regularly ate the same one, yeah. <laughs> Just the manifestation of your depression. Yeah. That is also <laughs> quite possible. I just well, love the idea of the intro from Black Beauty. No, what I've got in my head is the end where the chief runs off at the end of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And <laughs> like Christopher Lloyd's cheering and stuff like <laughs> that and as he escapes. And yeah, that's all I'm thinking of is all the kids there. So, like, yes, yeah. do it for us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Apparently it still happens. Somebody oh, asked Jennifer recently when we were discussing things that used to happen at school and do they still happen? Somebody did say, do dogs still get in the field and kids lose their shit? And apparently kids are just as excited now as they ever were. There you go. <laughs> so they've yeah. got the internet and they're still excited <laughs> by the fact a dog gets into a field. Yeah, because he's an agent of chaos. He shouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> he's anarchy in a fluffy coat. <laughs> um, Yes, so very quickly, the other thing that I watched since the last episode, um, I watched a film called Return of the Evil Dead, um, which has nothing to do with the Evil Dead, um, and is a Spanish film from 1973. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's amazing. So the version I've got on DVD is dubbed. But it's a, it's a, a Spanish city where they murdered the Knights Templar because they were doing human sacrifices um, and they burnt out the eyes of the Templars and then yes. burned them at the stake. Oh. Adam is looking so really mm -hmm. excited. Yeah, I'm just fucking jealous because that's one of the Blind Dead films. Yes, yeah, it's also called Return of the Blind Dead. That's it, yeah, because they, there's like four of them. There's four in the, ah. there's four in the whole series, but one of which is, one of them's called Night of the Seagulls. Which, oh, I've got that. Like, watch that. There's, there's not even any. Uh, what's it called? It's not like they do two, three, and four. They all have proper different titles. Oh. But there was a box set of it like ages ago, and I didn't get it. And then there was an import box set of it, and I didn't get it. And I'm just so pissed off because the Blind Dead films were like ones that I was, I was a bit obsessed with. It, it was pretty much probably the only things I didn't catch up on during the great wave the great wave of zombie like the great zombie revival um yeah that was one of the few that i didn't sort of catch up on and but yeah sorry anyway continue but yeah sorry i've realized you, you're talking about blind dead and they got excited yeah. <laughs> and no and you're quite right too because i saw it i was like I, I bought it a while ago and it's been on my shelf i was like it's a spanish movie it's been dubbed it's gonna it's a, a low budget movie it's gonna be pretty crap but it's going to be interesting um and it was absolutely amazing um really really enjoyed it like the the the, the actual knights templar ghosts um as skeletons in cows in knights attire riding horses and just slaying people as they cry it's such an amazing visual and the story works really well um because they almost look like they're made of stone don't they yes Yes, they do. Um, the, the, the effects on it is, are really good. Like, they look like skeletons, despite the fact they move mm. like people in costumes. Um, yeah, for 1973, it looks absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, and I was really, really surprised by how good it was. Um, the dialogue's a bit ropey because it's Spanish and it's been translated kind of poorly. 
mm-hmm. um, which kind of gave it an amusing edge, but didn't take away from that because it, it, it kind of makes it amusing. So when it's the boring talking bits, you're like, <laughs> that's not how you talk. And then all of a sudden the ghosts turn up and you go, yeah, no, that's actually shit, that's scary, like they're pretty good. So yeah, it, it ticks all the boxes. I absolutely love the shit out of it. So. Oh. Well, the, the good news is there's three other films that you can catch up on. <laughs> One of them is already on the shelf waiting, so I'll be watching Night of the Sea. Oh, definitely now. Yeah. I don't know if any of them eat a run, but... I've just sent them the link to it. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I saw, I saw something <laughs> pop up from you. Oh, yeah, no, I've just checked the message you on Instagram so that uh, you can both see. See, copy it It is a thing. Excellent. I'm checking now. As <laughs> Your life will never be the same again. Yeah. <laughs> it's nature red in tooth and claw. Yeah. Yes. Uh. <laughs> How does it make its throat do that? I don't know. It eats it like a lizard, doesn't it? Or a snake. Whoa, yeah. Yeah, that's proper. Man. That goes to show we should be scared of sea girls. Fucking yeah. am. Anything <laughs> from <laughs> I don't want anywhere near me, thank you. Oh, I can go what we want, seagulls eat some rats. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well done, your life is different now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank me later. <laughs> poor, poor Chris, he's just told you about his experience as a child with the bird. Oh no, that's he's it. It's all coming back. Sorry. <laughs> He ain't gonna leave the house without a tin hat and a fucking air rifle now. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, right, so on to this evening's uh, main topic. So, yes, Theatre of Blood. Um, Claire, before we delve into the movie, why did yeah. you choose this film? Like I said earlier, this era of TV and film I love. But this film is so it's like it really is and it's not a horror comedy because it's not silly like it's not there aren't jokes in it there are but it it's really horrible the deaths are surprisingly grim and gory um but Lionheart's disguises throughout the film get more and more ridiculous and in some cases quite racist Um, but they're just it's just great and I've not seen any other horror film even Fives that is like this one Yeah, I don't think this genre happens now or would, would be the same now no. Because I think you need someone who's on the level of Vincent Price, who has that authority. But I believe, in, when I watch this film, I believe that Vincent Price can scale a building with Diana Rigg over his shoulder. <laughs> I believe that he can survive a five-foot fall and then drink meths and be fine. I, like, I believe he can fence. I believe he can do all these things. Um... But at the same time, it, it's it's a relatively easy watch. Yeah. Like there's no thanks thanks to him watch. and his ability to yeah, yeah. just yeah act so um, well. Exactly, and I only ask you, when did you work out that Diana Rigg 
was Disco Stew because I didn't work it out for ages. <laughs> 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 is it uh, is that, it's funny you say that because yeah, I watched this with Jennifer. She didn't join us this evening because she because um, Claire's here, so she said, you know, if we have too many people, it gets a bit. Um, so she did watch the film because she loves it. But yeah, she kind of said the same. We were a little way in, and then she went, "Oh right, well, I should have seen that earlier." Like, <laughs> is she talking about the film or? But yeah, and then I worked out she was on about Diana Rigg. Oh, yeah, the first time I watched it, I think it took until you know, there's the flashback scene where you find out why Lionheart is killing them off. Yeah. Um, I think it took for her to appear in that scene for me to go, oh, it's her. <laughs> I think it took that long the first time I watched it. Yeah, I think the first time I ever watched it, I was, I mean, I don't know how old I was, but I definitely, I don't think I saw it at all until it sort of got, until the, the yeah. reveal, pretty yeah. much. Because I don't, I think it's also something that's different if you're familiar with. Diana Rigg, mm, possibly, yes. which I wouldn't have mm. necessarily liked much. I might have seen an Avengers, but I wouldn't sort of. I mean, when I was watching it, Vincent Price would have been the only person I recognised. Oh, and Captain Manor. Yeah. But the, um, I mean, even this watch, I had to ask if her voice had been pitched down when she was being. Has that man got a name? Uh, it's called the stage manager, but I prefer oh. Disco Stew. Oh, that's. <laughs> isn't that what it calls. That isn't that what Vincent Price calls him at one point? Yeah. Go, go and sort out the... Uh, Change manager. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I did work it out. I can't remember exactly where. I don't know how far through, but like all the way through, I was thinking there's something really weird about that person. Well, obviously, <laughs> they are weird, but it's like, mm, okay, and then, yeah, something did trigger it. Um, I I it's the disguise exactly but... of all time. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not quite... It's probably quite helpful that it comes from a time where someone dressed like that would not be outlandish. Yeah. I don't yeah. include I don't include Butch in that statement, but <laughs> but just I mean you could imagine that person mm. you would see you'd see that person in an, in old news footage, yeah. or whoever it if it was if it was genuinely a male actor, it's like oh yeah he was in, he was a grass in the Sweeney and he yeah. was in you know like a Slade film or something like that. And someone I know dresses like that, unironically, because they're really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and they dress like that now, very similar hair and clothes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the fact that Diana Rigg doesn't kind of play it overly butchly. No. But she mm. just kind of plays it. And, and like you say, 80s, you know, thugs in the Sweeney or Minder or whatever wouldn't be a million miles away from how she plays that character. So it doesn't come off as outlandish or make you look any further than yeah. it's somebody with a big perm, a big moustache <laughs> and big glasses whose face yeah. you can't really see. And it isn't until you kind of put two and two together and you go, oh shit, I've been watching the same person in two different roles for the last 50 minutes and have not yeah. and put it together. I, th I think actually it's a tribute to the director because as well, sort of watching it, knowing that, you realise quite how long it is before there's any real 
close-ups of that yeah. character. Yeah. But equally, it never feels like they're deliberately obscuring something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not it, like you watch some things, and like you say, like you said, Chris, where it's like there's something up with that character, yeah. but it's never made a big enough deal of a mm. mission yeah. that it may be anything other than just henchmen. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know. So, yeah, well, do well done, Douglas Hickox. And your directing style here. Mm. Um, yeah, I just think this is such a cleverly put together film as well. Um, it, like we were saying before, although it's not full out slapstick comedy, um, it's if, if people like putting somebody like Eric Sykes in is yeah. in, in a film of this kind of where it just kind of peters along, it doesn't go too much into horror, it doesn't go too much into comedy. As you said, Claire, it's got quite a lot of gore, but it never kind of goes excessive. Yes, yeah, so having someone like Eric Sykes to to just kind of get the help get that balance right. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, I think there was one joke, like actual joke that I noticed. It was the very end line about him exiting. Well, well, oh, yeah. he's a bit a bit melodramatic. It was well. Yeah. <laughs> and even and even he kind of even like the character in it kind of looks like the copper like well it's a joke yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it's so serious mate yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no bodies from here to fucking Bermondry mate you want to find him Devlin a man's died several men have died several women have died He's you nearly had your eyes poked out by yeah Red hot swords. But so many of the characters in this are full caricatures. Like mm. I said to Jennifer, the one that stood out for me particularly was when you first see the I don't know how we're gonna to refer to them, the tramps or the winos. They're called yeah. the meth drinkers in the crate. Okay. The meth drinkers. Um he's in he's he's clearly a homeless man, but he's still wearing a three piece suit and a top hat that's all crumpled. And I was like why were people in the seventies still wearing crumpled? Yeah, it's, it's a bit... I don't think people were who weren't necessarily living in the sewers, but it kind of works in a kind of it's not it's not too overtly comedy, but you yeah. can kind of see what they're saying. It it just But then there's another part where one of the when um uh he's going into the fencing uh mm. What would you call it? Fencing school. Fencing school. Yeah. Um, and there's a tramp outside who's blind selling matches. Yeah. But that, that's a very Victorian mm. sort of image as well. But, it, but weirdly enough, it's stuff that was still there in the 70s. Yeah. And I, think, mm. and I think also the behaviour of the meth drinkers, mm. like when they're lying on the floor and one of them's just casually titting up yeah. the, the really... The really <laughs> Yeah, such a um, fantastic term. I know that um, actually Claire has brought that back into your repertoire recently, titting up, because I know that it's one of my favourite. Would you like to clarify that? <laughs> so, only because I once went to the cinema with Adam and he turned up and said, um, Claire has specifically asked if, if we sit in the back seat, will you not tip me up while we're watching <laughs> the film? Yeah. So... I believe Claire, you've brought it back into our circle of. Uh... <laughs> I'm bringing it back. 
titting up, I'm bringing it back. <laughs> That's what she said one day, she announced <laughs> from, from her podium. That's me. <laughs> but so you've got kind of, they're really quite sort of, sort of horrible, degraded sort of figures. Mm. Well, we watched uh, we watched it as well with the commentary with the League of Gentlemen, which is brilliant. Mm. I definitely would recommend that as well. Mm. Um, and Steve Pemberton says, with the first killing, the the one of the most horrible bit is they're all just kind of touching his face. Yeah. yeah. So and I then, actually thought they might be zombies at that point. Yeah. It was very but, eerie. They they don't operate much above no. that sort of. Level mm. within it in a weird way, yeah. And they were saying that like, that's really horrible. That's not particularly violent, mm. but it's just gross. Yeah, it was that that first scene was great. I mean, like, at first it was like, oh, it's Michael Holden. Okay, I'm um, my eyes are wide. I'm watching. Yeah, but yeah, it was just so good. Like really, and, and yeah, and then throughout, just everything was just so well. Dialogue fantastic, scripting fantastic. Just, I forgot yeah. Michael Holden was in this actually until mm. he came on and I was like, yes, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> or whistle and I'll come to you. It's because he's the first to go. Mm. So I don't think yeah. he, Weirdly, because you never see him, apart from in flashback, you never see him with the rest mm. of the circle. Yeah. Whereas everyone else does get sort of their own bits in there. But, so I was both upset about that, but also because I know him as Gandalf from the radio uh, yes. adaptation of... Uh, the Hobbit, what was it? Yeah. Rings. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's like, right, if they're going to kill off Gandalf in the first scene, this has got to be a serious film coming up. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the League go on about the fact that when Michael Horndon died, the newspapers had put um, Paddington Bear Man dies. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Just what they say as he brutally, like, battered and knifed by the mainstream. <laughs> but I think, actually, and there's the... There's, that is like the whole of the critic circle are they've done very well with getting a lot of really good actors mm. who for want of a better word it's not typecasting but they bring a baggage so you kind of fill in the blanks a bit yeah. so michael horndon is always very sort of well i'm particular yeah. i'm very very rich and i'm very posh and i'm very you know and then so you've got that bit to him already, and then it's like, oh, and he owns this property in London, and he's mm -hmm. and he would be, he would be of a type where he feels, well, I'll just go in and I'll tell tell them, to <laughs> bugger off, bloody dossier. <laughs> and actually, that's something that kind of came up is the league did mention that um, one of Michael Horndon's lines was the first line uh, is um, in uh, the local shop. Because Michael Horndon, once the once the mess drinkers start getting agitated, he goes, uh, "We'll have no trouble here." Oh, um, really? Yeah. And so they said, "See, it's not just a wicker that... man. We nick, we nick from other things as well." Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to say it though. Amongst those meth drinkers, um, one of them is the choreographer of the, that group. Mm. There's a guy called Tutti Lemko, or Tutti Lemkov, who um, did stuff like did. Um, uh, Doctor Who, sort of very early 60s Doctor Who, and would regularly turn up as parts, but also as a choreographer within the series. So it was like he sort of had a, a sort of twofold thing. 
and with this he is very much he was like the one who corralled the meth drinkers mm. and i think you know he's done such a good job with them and they're so like you say they're it's such a weird range considering they don't actually do or they don't seem to have any sort of exterior agency they just work as a mob mm. but again on the um on the commentary they made a really good point of saying having that gang of people there particularly in the wine tasting you know he gets drowned yeah. in the wine they do a really good job of you go well i'm not in danger because look at there's all these other people here mm. and so they do like a really good job of just being like set pieces almost so that the the victims don't think that they're in trouble making it seem normal yeah yeah, yeah. because yeah. you've got a group yeah actually yeah because you've got that group of people with you exactly mm. so you're immediately like well this you're is safe because who's going to yeah. do anything in a big group of people that's yeah. right <laughs> but it's but it's also the thing where they're like you say they are background to a lot of these people mm. so they're kind of like they're ignoring them so they're not like like at the wine tasting where they and every Every time they, every time it happens, they gradually sort of break character, for want of a better expression. Yeah, it's mm. like Lionheart's managed to sort of wind them up enough, mm. and then it's then the meth bottles are coming out and the bow ties are gone yeah. at you and stuff like that. And it's like when they're fit, when when it's um, the this is your dish. Yes, that's like what I where, about to say, yeah. where one of where one of them's like passed out on the stairs. Yeah, even <laughs> though even though Meredith Meridue is still under the impression he's being filmed, they've really sort of just lost it and just gone off and done their own thing and sort of mm. played <laughs> with a lock. And if you, you look know. over the shoulder as well, so there's one passed out on the stairs, and then literally as he realizes what's happening, and he stands up and walks forward from the table. One of them lurches behind him, picks up the bottle of wine he'd been drinking, and just starts chugging it. Because it's like, <laughs> he's beyond help. I'm drinking this. Yeah, like it's just genius. They are, they mm. are the best background actors I've possibly ever seen. They're absolutely what, fantastic. I think that Tutti Lemko is the guy who is passed out on the stairs in that sequence. <laughs> but amongst other people you've got in there, one of them. Is the original Bungle from Rainbow? What? Who, who did like? Where is it? Uh, a guy called Stanley Bates who did nine hundred and twenty episodes of Rainbow. Oh shit! And he's one of them. But also one of them is a guy called Declan Mulholland, and he's the really he's the biggest one, like the big fat guy. Yeah. Um, and he is the human Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. You know from before the, they. The... They, they changed it. Yeah. Hand my boy. <laughs> and he's just this big Scottish bloke in a yeah. uh, like an Afghan club. Excellent. And but and he's been in he's been in he's been in Doctor Who. He's in Hulk the Slayer. He's also in a film called The Ruling Class. But I'll come back to that because that's something mm. that a lot of people in this have appeared in. So, um, Jennifer noticed as well. So uh, Joan Hickson was in this as a very small role. Um, yes, she's um, Marple. Yes, yeah, Miss Marple. Yeah, she was uh, Sprout's wife. Yeah, yeah. She's literally, just in that scene where they're in bed, and she keeps telling him to stop snoring and stop mm. being a dick, mm. and then wakes up next to his decapitated <laughs> corpse. See, I think that's the first killing that isn't that there's comedy in it. 
I was, but, yeah. When he's, when he's going basin, mm. basin, and then he goes, ugh, and rolls his eyes. <laughs> That's when you can feel a real father-daughter dynamic of, oh, because she never does this. But you can... <laughs> she's, forgotten. Yeah. she's forgotten the fucking bowl again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jabbing her in the ass with the yeah. anaesthetic yeah. over and over again, and even the comedy. Oh, when she gets yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, he, when yeah. she gets Sharin, yeah. Oh, and also him muttering in his sleep. <laughs> um, by the way, Lee, uh, that bit is filmed in Oakley Court. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, because the entire film, and I think this definitely helps. The entire film is filmed on location. There's not mm -hmm. a single set in this. It's just, uh, I mean, obviously, like a lot of the derelict it, stuff. It, it see. feels like they. It doesn't feel like a soundstage. It all feels like real, genuine buildings and places. Um, yeah, yeah, which definitely makes a massive difference, especially for the the central London stuff as well. Mm. But I, I, that guy's house, where you can see the London Bridge Arc. Yeah, just in the window. I was like, oh, "Can you even imagine how much it must have cost them to have shot?" This is exactly what we were saying. Going. Just like how much that must cost now, like then, but now I don't even think it. You you could afford it as a residential place. No, you're probably right. It probably is someone's offices now. It's got to be if it's still there, because a lot a lot of the derelict stuff's gone. Um, yeah. The actual theatre where they film it. Uh, like the, the like his lair, yeah, Reinhardt's lair, like that. Um, that is, um, I think it's the, I think it's the Bermondsey Hippodrome, which had been derelict, which had been like closed for about fourteen years before the film was shot, and they basically rented it off the current owners for like, I think like a packet of crisps and a. A, bo a bottle of Jack Daniels or whatever like that. Like, <laughs> All the mess you can eat. All the mess you can eat. <laughs> and um, and so yeah, that and that's that place had been like basically left to rot for the best part of fifteen years, and they went in there and just got to use it. But also, the building was scheduled for uh, to be condemned. So when they set fire to the place. They set fire to the place. Yeah, I was wondering. This is, and I'll tell you what, fucking Vincent Price, can I fucking whap a bloody um, yeah. torch? I've when he throws it up into the royal box. Yeah, I've got a note one, here. One take. Yeah, exactly. One throw with one, and he's got two torches, and he just turned around and just lobbed one straight into the box. And I was like, you know what? I'd have done this film for free to be able to go into yeah. the theatre and lob burning torches around the way he does. Because he looks like he's having a fucking whale of a time. But doesn't that show what a good actor he is? That he didn't do it and go, fucking hell, did you yes. think that was funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, you give, give me two burning torches and a cape, I will be on fire before I've managed to torch any of that fucking building, because I'm an idiot. So, but, yeah. And but again, it's sort of like it's just perfectly right because it's that sort of because it's clearly like glamour. It was clearly sort of like quite a prestigious mm. sort of theatre, mm. and it's just they've had the luck to go in, and it's just been their set designer has been fifteen years of neglect mm -hmm. that has just made it sort of right. Yeah. And also, it's like, it looks incredible. It does look incredible. It's just the mm. perfect set for and. 
and you saying about Vincent Price as well, I, I think that's one of the things that, that can't be swept under the carpet. Nobody could have played this part but Vincent Price. Like, yeah. just the right level of when he needs to be a good actor because he's pretending not to act, he's perfect. And then when you want someone to be the hammiest actor of all hammy yeah. actors, he's all over he that. He can do it, yeah. But also the fact that he kind of... He manages to combine the two in so much as there are bits where he's doing the Shakespeare and it's Lionheart feeling it. Yeah. Like he mm. do especially when it's like the soliloquy from Hamlet, which is weird because obviously you've got all the murders that are in there, mm. but then you've got sort of bits and pieces like there's the uh, Brave New World that has what what people in it or what creatures in it which comes from the Tempest. And again, it's about being washed up in an island. So it's when he, and similarly with that, where he does like the uh, Hamlet soliloquy and it's like, actually he's really fucking good. Yeah. And would mm. be, you know, if this was in context, you'd be going, yeah. he's a fucking good Hamlet. Because that's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. At that, that point, I felt the bit where um, he's doing the to be or not to be mm. and all the critics are inside going look at him out there i felt really really sad for Lionheart mm. because you could tell he was just genuinely gutted that no they hadn't made a mistake they all genuinely didn't think he was good enough. yeah mm. and he was just absolutely gutted and um i felt really i was like oh the dust and, and you feel mean? sorry you feel sorry for diana rig as well because it's mm. like don't let them get to you yeah mm. don't don't give them this opportunity to mock you further they've already yeah. they've already destroyed you essentially but don't give them this to sort of like amuse them no um diana rig is again fantastically cast in this because mm. as you say when she when she plays the the heavy with the big moustache she kind of doesn't overplay it enough that you suddenly go that's a woman pretending to be yeah. a man in a, a mm. very obvious way. Um, but again, she, she plays the daughter so kind of empathetically and so genuinely. And, and, and Diana Rigg, I, I've always thought, is such an a, uh, underplayed actress. Um, yeah. yeah. See, I, I didn't know her until Game of Thrones, so that's, that's the only thing I'd seen her in. Oh, and Tyrell. Yeah, and, and in that, she certainly appears to have a slightly cheeky aspect to her, which suits mm. this as well. So yeah, it's like, that's yeah, what I've seen her in this game of Thrones. She's um, really, she really is quite. Um, she's a playful old woman. Yeah, in Game of Thrones. She's just mm. mischievous, like Nans should be. Yeah, but in the sort of sense of. Well, I've been round the fucking block a few times before any of you. Mm -hmm. So here's a poison for your nasty little nonce boy. Yeah. And so on and so forth. And it's, yeah. But, I mean, obviously she did the Avengers where she was um, Emma Peel. And um, interestingly enough, uh, the Avengers started off and it's, um, it was, it's always been John Steed, like uh, Patrick uh, McNee in the bowler hat and the uh, cane, uh, like the umbrella with the sword. Um, but obviously they had different people as they went along. But the very first person, it was actually, because famously it's always like him and a woman. But the very first version of the Avengers, um, it's a guy called Dr. David Keel, who is played by Ian Hendry, who is Devlin in this. Mm. 
so he sort of kicked off he kicked off being in the Avengers and then Diana came in after like he was replaced by Anna Blackman and then Anna Blackman was uh, replaced by Diana Rick. So again, there's a lot. I mean, obviously it's it's Britain in the seventies, so obviously the actors tend to sort of have been in bits and pieces the same as well. It's worth noting that um, uh, Diana Rick's daughter is an actress called Rachel Sterling. And they played mother and daughter in uh, The Crimson Horror, which is a Mark Davis episode of Doctor Who. And they played mother and daughter in The Detectorists, that Toby Jones uh, sitcom. Um, and she's in On Her Majesty's Secret Service um, as the only woman who marries Bond. Mm. Uh, and then gets shot for her trouble. Spoiler alert, but it's been out for fucking years. Um, <laughs> One worth checking out, Lee, is The Assassination Bureau, which is a film she's in with Ollie Reed and Telly Savalas. And it's kind of like a bit of a pre-steampunk, steampunk, so it's like a sort of 1920s adventure sort of thing, like Edwardian era adventure sort of thing. It's pretty good. And very... Uh, the Assassination Bureau. It's not much of an assassination bureau, is it? I should look that up. But yeah, that's that's definitely worth that's definitely worth checking out. Obviously, we've covered Mr. Price on three separate occasions before this. <laughs> Tales of Terror, House on Haunted Hill, and the Abominable Evil of All Doctor Vides. Mm-hmm. So yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it, mate. Thank you. Yeah. Also, um, Chris, do you remember Diana Rigg was also in The Worst Witch? She played uh, Miss Hardbroom. Yes. Oh, yeah, I didn't realise that. Oh, okay. I never saw Avengers as a kid, the Avengers. Mm. So that's what I always remember as with Mrs. Hardbroom. And obviously, yeah. it's, it's a very small role, but it was always what I... It left a big impression on you. Yeah. Most. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and actually, Diana Rigg ended up setting up um, the... Actress in uh, Coral Brown, who plays Chloe Moon, the uh, critic who is burnt, like, like electrocuted by uh, the hairdressers. Um, apparently, she heard Vincent Price. Uh, no, she, uh, Dinah Rigg was at a, a, like gone to the theatre, and this and Coral Brown was also there. And apparently, she overheard her in the toilet saying, "I fancy Vincent Price. I really fancy," and basically set them up. And um, yeah, and she became Vincent Price's third wife. Oh, well, he's not quite so hard. I think Vincent was on his second wife when he met her, so it's not. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, um, maybe not. No, and, that, and that was like Vincent Price's like third and, and final wife, he was with her till she died. Um, but uh, yeah, so Diana Rigg, who set them up because it was like, well, you know, so. <laughs> she obviously fancies Mr. Price, so that's <laughs> no. it. Who doesn't? Well, exactly. It's got to be said. I mean, he's he's a man of many talents. Well, uh, I have got an ask. Welcome to horror, actually. Oh, actually, actually, I've got an ask. Welcome to horror, actually. Actually, um, what is your favourite? What do you think is the best slash your favourite disguise that Lionheart uses in this film? 
That's a very good question. Uh, Chris, would you like to answer this first? Yeah, well, so you might say this is a bit of a cheat, but I did like him when he was dressed with his cape at the award ceremony, but of course that's yeah. not really a disguise. But it's because every time I saw a scene with, his, with a new uh, costume on, it was like, well, that one's great, but what's the next one going to be? Yeah. So by the end, I was like, oh, what were they all again? So <laughs> I'd need to watch it again to remind myself of exactly how he looked. But then we were saying, watching it, when, when he's in the theatre with his cape on, Mm. Any you could pause that scene at any point and that's your poster for the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he's on the throne, he, he pulls that off so well. Next to him and the torches and yeah, every, yeah. every yeah. single bit. And in fact, I think the the DVD that I used to have of it, um, the front cover was just him in the sort of in the dinner jacket and cape. Yeah, I don't think they sort of really went for anything other than that. Don't need to. My favourite is. Um, when he's dressed, apparently he's dressed as Achilles. When he, you know, when it's the mm. second murder, when he comes down mm. in the crow mask. Yeah. But it's more when he takes it off, he looks like fucking Arthur Brown. Yeah. When I saw Arthur Brown, it was like this sort of like crazy old man in essentially war time. Yeah. You know, and yeah, so there's that. But I love the fact that he's sort of sitting there, and it's. It's a bit like that thing you used to get on Big Brother, which is have a fancy dress party and we'll give you loads of booze. And then someone dressed like a fucking caveman is having an argument with a bumblebee yeah. in the garden quite <laughs> seriously. And everyone has to stand around looking awkward while two people dressed as prats. That is not just Big Brother. That is Halloween and any British high school. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very true. Very true. But I do like that <laughs> fact that he's sort of, he's dressed... Like he's dressed like Peter Gabriel yeah. in Genesis, but he's just sat dejected in a chair and just sort of like saying, "Well, you did say that, but what else did you say?" Yeah. And he's just really winding up to mm. the point. <laughs> so. I, th I think for me, it's got to be uh, the very first point at which we see him in the film, which is where Michael Holden is taken into the building. And there's the coppers on either the side police. of the door. Yeah. Um, and it, it's obviously Diana Rigg and Vincent Price, as we find out later, um, with those massive pawn moustaches. Yeah. Yeah. He walks through the door, they turn and walk in after him. And I was like, he's going to get fucked. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to go in, he's going to offer to fix the piano. He's it, all going to turn in. Yeah, so I think that's my favourite, is him dressed up as a policeman uh, with big glasses on and a massive moustache that just sticks <laughs> out between his cape and his hat. So I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Again, that's another bit where the director does some marvellous misdirection by not making a big thing of anything. Mm. So if you were watching it or you're watching it casually or you're not quite concentrating or, mm. you know, you just go, it's like, oh, yeah, there's, like, there's two, you know, bit part actors who are playing the couples. <laughs> Yeah, there's two foot heart difference. Don't worry about that. Yeah. But for me, because I was looking, like, and, and I think this is probably the first time I've noticed off the bat, yeah, that it's them straight away. But, but only because, yeah, this is probably my fourth or fifth time of seeing this film. So mm. I was watching for them the whole time in the background. So as soon as you see two coppers who are kind of hiding the faces with massive moustaches, I was like, oh, 
there they are straight away. He's either Paul and all that thing too in disguise. I've got to say, I loved the question, especially it being asked before watching the film, like because I don't think we've done that sort of thing before. Because it was like, ah, oh, that gives me such a good hint as to what to expect. Well, and, like you said, but like, doesn't you give it away. When when you were watching it. You do go, oh, that's my favourite. Oh, no, 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 that's yeah. my favourite. No, no, that's my favourite. <laughs> like, what's um, going to come next? Yeah. Because I love Butch. Everything about that. Is <laughs> it's so, like, of the era. It's so different to any of the mm. others because it looks like Vincent Price. There's no disguise. <laughs> He's got a shirt with two naked men on and an afro. But the fact that he's been so like overtly camp yeah. is enough that makes everybody not want to look. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. at that time, like, oh no, I don't want to. Like when the, cop, the copper is clearly freaked yeah. out where he keeps yeah. like, kisses at him and so. Yeah, he's like, no, I don't look. And he's like, no, 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 he'll bump me. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why it's so perfect, as you say, because of, you know, in that era, you know, like now, you'd be like, you know, you'd be kind of. Presumably, I'm sure most people would be kind of flattered and in no way terrified by the fact that yeah. if you're a man, a man fancies you. It doesn't mean he's going to necessarily try and attack you. But the fact that the copper is like, I should be protecting that person, but, but there's another man down there yeah. Yeah. who yeah. fancies me. I couldn't possibly go down there because who knows what might happen. It's by the fact yeah. of the policeman and he's obviously... And yeah, yeah, it is that yeah, era and that level of fear, which is ridiculous. Yeah. It was 1973. You could catch gay off a chair. <laughs> Very careful. I mean, look at that other that other um, critic with his two dogs. Mm. I mean, you never see oh, his wife, man, but, um, uh, Meredith Merridue, yes. Yeah. <laughs> see, now this is the first time I picked up on the fact that in the uh, in the uh, the original story. Um, yeah, they did say it's a queen who is forced to eat her two yeah. sons. Now, I'd never picked up on that necessarily before. Mm. Um, but yeah, again, it, it's of that era where it isn't necessarily offensive um, then. And I, I don't think it should be now when you look back at stuff necessarily. Um, I, I think it's done, I think it's done with a level of, it's, there's enough comic mm. effect to it that it, it's kind of because I think it's probably also because it's it speaks more to Lionheart's cruelty or to yeah. sense of humour that it's like sort of like oh you know, the queen who ate her babies. I think also probably feeding someone their actual babies is not right for this film. No, it would be completely just like the wrong. Yeah, if you, if, yeah, you'd be. If he'd fed someone their children, <laughs> yeah, but feeding someone their poodles is funny. Yeah, yeah. In the context of this film, exactly. Even though that's possibly the one death that I think that's the one that I think feels personally feels the what is just the idea of being choked to death with mm -hmm. like food is chicken tonight. Yeah, it? as it is. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I think if we if um, I'm obviously because. Unlike Fives, I mean, obviously Fives is the thing that this shares a lot of DNA with. Yeah. yeah. And actually, it's got the same, it's probably the same thing, the reason why Fives works is the reason why this works is the reason why Seven works, is because you've given yourself a structure. Yeah. And it's like, so you know that it's like a 
it's like a greatest hits package almost because it's like right i know that in 15 minutes there'll be another murder and there'll be another but also you go into the sort of thing of well if they're doing this will they do you know if they're doing shakespeare will they do this one Mm. and similarly like how do you work the seven deadly sins oh it's funny because Mm. the police also know that and they do fuck all except for eat that four grapes again funny copies of film said the same so we've uh, obviously that amazing uh cameo i don't know if it's quite a cameo but diana doors yes mm. they'd worked out by that point what it was you know what the what the sequence yeah, was, was. Othello, yeah. so they knew it was a fellow they knew he was presumably going to be the next one so the fact that he still went and murdered her, you're like, well, you must yeah. be one step ahead, surely, by that point. But well, we laughed so much when <laughs> when Lifeheart comes out and just goes, oh, he's done a murder in there, and walks off. No, I think <laughs> it's because it was the most extraordinary Scottish accent. <laughs> yeah. I think he's away murdering his wife up there. Yeah, and then just I said, like, not wait here, didn't handcuff him to the thing, yeah. went up there and left him behind to wander off across St James's Park. Yeah, he, right. he actually, the copper actually goes, oh, thank you, sir. Thank, thank you, yeah. The same, and I think it's exactly the same way as if you said to someone, if you said to him, they've just opened digestives in there. Thank you, sir. You know. <laughs> but I think and weirdly enough, uh Fibes obviously we we did Fibes and we know that it's not quite the the plagues of the Pharaohs, it's kind mm. of an adapted version of it. Whereas this actually sticks mm. quite properly to the text of its yeah. although obviously you've got stuff like Merchant of Venice is because even that's what Devlin says, only Lionheart would have the temerity to rewrite Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, there's virtually a menace, there's not murder in that, is there? And then the best bit is, is that they do, when when it gets to Titus Andronicus, I really, I love, Devlin sort of skims over it a bit. But Titus Andronicus is fucking bodies wall to wall. So that would have been like, I have no fucking idea which one he's going to go for out of this, because it's a big, list mm. but i think because obviously so they kill george maxwell michael horndon gets killed it's julius caesar yeah because in that caesar is killed by the senate conspirators which is represented by the, the thing you got. then you've got uh troilus and cressida with hector snipe who's dennis price now dennis price did a film called kind hearts and coronets which kind of is in a similar vein okay in, well, it's kind of in a similar vein. It's basically it's a black comedy in which someone's bumping off members of the family so that they get the inheritance. But the interesting thing is Dennis Price is like the illegitimate child and the entire rest of the family are all played by Alec Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> but Alec Guinness plays, I think it's like nine characters in it. That's an old like it's an old Ealing one. It's like an old Ealing comedy. And yeah, Alec Guinness is basically like he's the old dowager. He's the the uncle who's a boat captain and stuff like that. And it's that's really worth checking out. I think I've got to see that. Yeah, because Dennis Dennis Price was sort of a big. He was quite a big actor at the uh, sort of at the time, 
Uh, he's in Dr. Frankenstein, he played Dr. Frankenstein rather, for the Jess Franco films Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> he's in Twins of Evil and he's in The Horror of Frankenstein, like the Hammer films. Yeah. And, um, but he's in, he's in a film called Horror Hospital. And by the end, he's getting sort of like, this is probably like the classiest role he got towards the end of his career. Because he was almost like a matinee idol, like back in the day. Um, And then, yeah, he's in Horror Hospital, which is the Michael Goth film. And he plays like this needlessly seedy, gay travel agent, basically. And it's sort of like, and to the point where it's like, oh, they're setting him up to be a villain. And he isn't really he's just a cameo but he's just an unpleasant prick it's like sort of (laughs) yeah he did he didn't get like some great stuff there but that with the stab with the spear body dragged away by a horse as happens in Troilus and uh, Cressida that's horrible Mm. that when they turn him over with gravel embedded in his face horrific Although I would like to go on a Lionheart style sort of killing spree of fake me death and go on a killing spree, but I want to do all the, it's more the bits like where he's the grave digger. And it's like, just, <laughs> yeah, why not show yourself to what? Nine people who could potentially recognize you mm-hmm. and the police. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a bit. But he's that good of an actor. That's, that's yeah. He is that good of an actor. He's been surprised. <laughs> They did. They the league do say on their commentary that it's like, well, if the acting wasn't working out, he could turn his hand to surgeon, hairdresser, <laughs> massage, <laughs> graphic designer. Graphic designer. <laughs> because those massive masks at the end of the critics, you know, the giant faces. Yeah, mm. so cool. They are brilliant. And again, it's like that. Again, where the meth drinkers have been brought in. And they're, they're sort of going along with it. But then when... And fair play to Devlin. How far do you fucking take something? Yeah. Every, every single other person pretty much goes, it was Devlin, it wasn't me. I wanted you to be the king of the world. Um, and he's the only one who's like, no, I refuse to give you the best actor award because whatever his name is, like Bob Woodstock or something like William Woodstock yeah. or whatever, who you never see. Yeah, I did wonder. I was thinking, is he going to turn up? Boy. See, and this is the point at which I screamed at the screen, and Adam will appreciate it. He does say, never, ever, ever, and I followed it up with bloody anything, bloody anything ever. ever. <laughs> <laughs> now, you had a bet on what you I, thought it well, might be. Well, we're com- we're, we'll be coming to that as well. Excuse me. Because you've got Arthur, <laughs> then, then obviously there's Arthur Lowe, Captain Mannering, voice of the Mr. Men. Um, mm-hmm the Mick Travis trilogy for Lindsay Anderson. And again, he brings that sort of pomposity, but like mannering is henpecked. Yeah. And that's yeah. clearly his role within it is that, because they, even in the critic circle, they're like sort of going to, well, your wife's going to pick you up. You want to think of me at the start because your wife's going to pick you up in half an hour. Yeah. And you don't <laughs> Especially when he's just, it's just the, well, move it in the morning. Move the, move the, move the thing in the morning. Yeah. And Yes, dear. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, obviously decapitated in his sleep, um, which is the same thing. Someone actually gets decapitated in a fight in um, Cymbeline, 
and then they lay him next to his lover. Mm. But here's a question. How did his head get from the floor yeah, to when the, yeah, the milk bottle? Yeah. yeah. They've obviously had to hang around. I love the mm. idea that Vincent Price had one disguise we don't see. He might have popped back in the box. He was, no, he's the milkman as well. Milk, though, You know, doing his convincing. So I reckon he's turned up whistly, whistly, clanky, clanky. Then. Drink a pint of milk a day. Our English followers who get that. Yeah. And then you get. Uh, I mean, again, the, the names are incredible because it's it's very Dickensian. Mm. You know, where it's like sort of Miss Lovely and Mr. Bastard. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how Dickens writes a book, you know. Yeah. And then you've got Trevor Dickman, who <laughs> juiced away with his grotty little uh, zodiac sign. You said it's <laughs> like, like when... a little Especially because it's like Dinah Rig in in thigh high boot, knee high boots, and a miniskirt comes up to you, and you've you've got that looking in the mirror every day, and you've just thought, yeah, yeah, of course she wants me. She's after me, clearly. That's one of my great. That's one of my favourite Dinah Rig moments in the whole film. Is when they're walking away, and he goes to grab her on the bum. And she notices and just grabs his hand and holds <laughs> it. And I just love that. When she's like, no, you've already touched me up in the cast. Yeah. We kind of had the same conversation because Jennifer was like, what, really? This whole old man? And I was like, yeah, but it, it's like the, the kind of the on the buses thing, mm. which we've discussed before, where you'd have men in their 40s, possibly their 50s, who were bus drivers and conductors, and then you would have the clippy girls who were all 18 to 21 falling about and fighting each other over getting their hands on these 50-year-old men. Like, it's, it's just... Let me, let me just um, interject here. As, as a woman myself... Oh, um, yes. Um, I'm going to get all of it right <laughs> on here. But as TV then... And now still is run. The high up guys are still majority men. Yeah. What does a 50 year old man want? Oh, wouldn't it be nice if instead of my 50 year old wife at home, you know, I reckon I could get one of these girls. I've got one of these young girls. Year old girls in a miniskirt cannot wait to get her hands on me. Exactly. I I think that just wrong. Like, each. Do you know the word word that's missing from this conversation? Dolly Bird. Oh. That's how they would be referred to. It's like, well, I reckon I can stab with Charles and one of the Dolly Birds, so yeah, why not Reg Varney? <laughs> what more is she than a pair of go-go boots and red lip gloss? And well, that's, that's, that's right, and that is what was happening in British TV at this time, but yeah. I've just never... I've never been able to get my head around how... People didn't just go, what, what? No, yeah. why is anybody watching on the buses? It is the most, it, A, it isn't funny. I mean, I know a comedy would have, was, uh, you know, of a different ilk back then. 
but yeah and it just makes it so unbelievably ridiculous i just don't well, it's where, again, talking like like we lost souls, it's where Austin Powers' bad teeth came from. Mm. Is Mike, Michael, uh, Michael Myers, sorry. <laughs> Mike, Mike, this podcast, yeah. but Mike Myers, like, lived over here a, a lot, mm. like, when he was a kid. And he watched on the buses, and it was jacking on the buses, was always, like, always got the birds. Mm. You know, Reg Varney would be sort of like a bit, but he was, it, no matter what, he always... He always scored, and he looked like an animated coconut scarecrow. <laughs> just a wizened wooden head with teeth like a poorly maintained cemetery, <laughs> hair like Jimmy Savile in the rain. Lovely. And it's like, yeah, and it, but he always scores. So it's like with hot eighteen-year-old yeah. women in short skirts and uh, knee-high boots. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's. Yeah, I guess it is what was happening in TV and movies at the time, but yeah, I, I just yeah. it's wrong. But it's, it's wrong but, then, every but then I think this movie knows it. Oh yeah, because yeah. It's yeah. Like, you know, how how did you how did you snare various people? How did you snare them? It's like sort of like oh, one of them we con we conned him because obviously they get um, Hector Snipe in saying oh. Lionheart's alive and he wants you to write a biography of him. So he's like, well, of course, you would ask me because I'm bloody lovely and uh, amazing like that. Michael Horn didn't they play on his sort of um, authoritative greed, essentially. Yeah. And then, and like, but yeah, Trevor Dickman, it's just like, what are you going to do? I'll send Diana Rigg because yeah. he's a walking hard on. Yeah, and you know, we'll send a, a girl who's fifty years too much, too young for him, and uh, he'll be all over that shit. Yeah, but the guy who plays Trevor Dickman is Harry Andrews, uh, who is the voice of General Wood Woundwort in Watership Down. Mm. So there you go. Um, and he's in. Um, he was in the Michael Caine Jack the Ripper. He's in Return of Sherlock Holmes. He's in the Second Stain. So ah. you would have seen him recently. Again, coming back to it, he's the 13th Earl of Gurney in the ruling class. He's in Hawker Slayer. A lot of people in this are in Hawker Slayer, and frankly, more people should know that. Uh, he's in Superman, the Medusa Touch. So he's, he sort of does, he, he, he's around a lot. But then obviously, so they rewrite The Merchant of Venice because the whole point of the end of Merchant of Venice is you've demanded a pound of flesh, but literally you've cooked flesh. So you can't have blood. You can't have, and that's how they get out of the claws, like how Porsche gets um, gets him free from the claws. Mm. Whereas uh, I'm very much with Lionheart, where it's like, well, this is a court of law, and yes, that would be terrible if I did that. I'm still having my pound of flesh. I'd have been there with a vegetable peeler. I'd have had the prick from skin from top to toe. It'd be the itchiest four fucking weeks of life. Yeah, because yeah, I'd, I'd have just skimmed off. Like, right, you don't want any blood? Okay, right. give me a vegetable peeler. Give me a vegetable peeler. That's what I'm having. <laughs> so, yeah, so Dickman gets done, and then you've got uh, Richard III drowned in a, uh, a butt of Mumsy wine. I always wanted to do that with someone. Actually, like, he knows he's got in that character as well. He's, uh, like, his, his portrayal and his outfit is pretty amazing, but that nose is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Especially How would somebody with a nose like that even eat? <laughs> in the way of his mouth. It's 
because I think that's the thing as well. It, it almost feels like they've sat there and gone, the Merchant of Venice, especially portrayals of Shylock, are, you know, often and certainly at the time would have been ludicrously anti-Semitic. Yeah. In terms of, let's make him a real stereotypical Jew. Mm. So it almost feels like they've done Richard III and it's like, right, give him a bigger fucking nose than you gave him when he was Shylock to prove that this production doesn't agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, his, his head's there, yeah. yeah. It's, you know. But, yeah, I mean, frankly, you say to Dean, I'm going to drown you in a butt of wine. He's happy. You know. It's, it's what he would have wanted. So, apparently, a butt of Mumsy wine is a vat of 477 litres. Wow. I am so fascinated, I know. Thank I know. you. I've got you in store here. So, yeah, so that's what nine. So yes, yeah, so, so that's the that's, that's the five bottles. Yeah. So that's nice. That's, that's a expensive brand, death. Yeah. I thought that myself as well when they put him in. I was like, where has he got that much money from? When he was like, oh yeah, this is a decent vintage, and I was like. Yeah. What, a barrel of a decent vintage? I can't afford Unless it wasn't, by that time he was so drunk. Yeah. Well, if you're judging it by the colour of that wine, it's about three bottles of wine and the rest of it is just watered down. Thought we find Ribena. Now, here comes the true test, I think, for Lee. Oh. This is it. So, then you get murder 5A that isn't a murder which is you get um, Devlin and uh, Lionheart fencing. Yes. Mm. And that is based on Romeo and Juliet, and it is the fight between Romeo and the fiery... Tybalt. Warlike Tybalt. Fiery warlike Tybalt. Stand <laughs> over there, Tibbs, while I finish my speech. Here's all right. <laughs> Edward, this is Shakespeare. <laughs> Everyone knows that yeah, Shakespeare is crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Well, yes, it is, but no. And yeah, so and uh, ruined by Filthy Rich and Catflap. We cannot yeah. in any way take Shakespeare. <laughs> it's actually written in my notes. It's written in my notes. The fiery warlike Tibbles. <laughs> <laughs> then you get. Solomon Saltry, Jack Hawkins, Othello, where his wife, uh, he kills his wife. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, again, that's one of the more ridiculous ones. Yes. That really has gone to town, I think, because he's... <laughs> well, it's just how quickly that man switches from... Yes. Yeah. And, but also it's the, the smothering. Is That's a fairly what, swift I mean, smothering. Yeah, it mm. takes about 15 seconds to kill her. She puts up no fire. I love her heart. She's not a, a, a wiry woman. She can put no. fire. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she, she's dead instantly. And it takes him about 10 seconds to be convinced to murder her in front of, another, in front of a witness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's how jealousy is. <laughs> but yeah, so Diana Dawes, the British Marilyn Monroe, she was known, yeah. um, and Jack Hawkins, um, uh, who is Solomon Saltry, who had um, 
1966, he'd had throat surgery, he had cancer, oh, yeah. and actually mm -hmm. had his larynx removed. And then every subsequent appearance he made in films, he's dubbed. And the dubber on this is Charles Gray, who is, um, well, Charles Gray is MacArthur in, uh, sorry, Lee, I was just saying that um, Jack Hawkins, like Solomon Saltry, the guy who smothers his missus, mm. um, he had throat cancer and had had his larynx removed in the 60s. And every subsequent role he did, he was dubbed. And in this, he's dubbed by Charles Gray. See, now I did notice Charles Gray's name in the credits, but I saw it at a flash and I remember thinking, I don't remember Charles Gray being in this. Yeah, and then I didn't see him. So, yeah, no, it makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah, apparently he did a lot of like, overdubbing for Jack Hawkins. Um, yes, yeah, his, his voice would suit his face. Yeah. Then you've got Chloe Moon, Coral Brown, who we've already talked about. She did a show with Vincent Price, though. I thought you might be interested, Lee. Um, called, where is it? Rubber Ball Ball, Rubber Baby. There we go. Um, Time Express, in which her and, uh, her and Vincent Price played Jason and Margaret Winters, who were the sophisticated hosts of the Time Express a train which took its passengers back in time to relive a momentous moment of their lives. Ooh, Ran for four episodes, that did. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not then. Yeah. But, I mean, she, but there's, I mean, this again, you know, I mean, that, that is definitely, because the lead, on the lead commentary, they do say about that's where they got, you know, in Psychoville, where Maureen and David Sauerbutz are going around um, killing the people to cover up David's bad murder. Yeah. Um, and they basically do this on the, uh, they do this to the woman in that, where it's basically, they take her in and say, oh yeah, we're doing a, a TV programme about like, uh, it's like a makeover show. And then they just plug her in and uh, kill her. So nice. it's, it's the same, same thing. And then of course you've got the mighty Meredith Meridue, Robert Morley, Titus Andronicus fed his own bed. They're my babies, you know. They are my babies. But I mean, obviously, and then you've got, and like I say, you've got him, um, you've got like Robert Morley, who is, just runs through bloody um, British TV and British film at the time. And was always sort of feckless people or ineffectual sort of people. So again, you, sort of, you know where you are with him. Yeah. Um, and uh, one, one thing I didn't realise, he played um, Mycroft Holmes in A Study in Terror, which is another Sherlock Holmes Jack the Ripper movie. Oh. Um, and I just think, yes, I can see him as Mycroft Holmes as well, because it's that sort of... Yeah. I'd, imagine, I'd imagine he'd portray him very intelligently, but also he'd get the fecklessness right, where Mycroft is essentially meant to be lazy as arseholes and mm. bored. And I can see Robert Morley doing that yeah. particularly well. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, and then, weirdly enough, you've got um, um, oh, uh, Madeline Smith playing the uh, Devlin's secretary in this Rosemary, and quite a sort of reduced role for her. Mm. Uh, but uh, core blimey, what a cracker! Yeah. Yes, because <laughs> cool. vampire lovers. Uh, you know, well, that'll do for me. 
<laughs> erotica in up Pompeii, you know. But I mean, yeah, I think she was sort of like she it was like, oh what, and I can keep my clothes on. Thank you, because it's going to be fucking cold in nineteen seventy three <laughs> London. She's also wearing the biggest pearl necklace I have ever seen in the final. That's saying something. <laughs> that is a classic laugh. That is going to be my text tone when I. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she's wearing a necklace of pearls that get bigger and bigger until they reach the front. And the one at the front is literally a ping pong ball <laughs> size, size pearl. But yeah, it's is she featured in another movie where, like, Lionheart's press secretary really hates the press secretaries of all the <laughs> And he's definitely bumping her off by just increasing the weight of her film. <laughs> it snaps her neck. No, that wouldn't work, though, because then you can take them off. And she's just got this huge, great big... Weapon. Muscle of a neck. Yeah, like a yeah, monster neck as wide yeah. as the shoulders. Like Thanos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she ends up with one of those number of <laughs> Why do your ears go straight down to your shoulders? What's going yeah. on there, mate? <laughs> but um, Vincent Price said this was his favourite film of any that he did. Mm. I think it shows. How could you not have fun mm. yeah. playing Lionheart? That's just, you get to do all your serious, look at me, I'm a really good actor. Mm. Plus all your sort of campy. The comedy, bits. yeah. You, you know, you get to do a bit of everything in this. That's very true. Because and I suppose I mean something like Fives, there has to be the restriction of oh yeah I had to loop all my dialogue and then they played it in afterwards. Yeah. Whereas with mm. this, he gets to he fully performs. Yeah. And like you say, he does. He gets to go. Oh, I I understand and I can do overacting. Yeah. And then it's like and then like the end where they do King Lear at the end as well. And it's like yeah. it's he's proper fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially when Edwina dies, yeah, and he's just like he goes King Kong and just like oh, yeah, about <laughs> the side of the film. <coughs> Apparently, this is Diana Rigg's favourite film of hers as well, um, and yeah, I think again, I'd, I'd be tempted to say masterpiece. I don't think you're far off there, sir. Yeah. I agree. I agree. This is this is one of the funniest films. I think came out of the whole of the 70s. Um, mm. I think a lot of the uh, horror in all genres, really, in the 70s, took itself very seriously. Yeah. Um, mm. And I think Vincent Price was one of those actors who wasn't and really was enjoying himself. Um, yeah. yeah, and, and his films of this decade particularly stand out for that reason because it, it is, it's that early black comedy. Mm. Uh, yeah, where everyone was having a great time and it was ludicrous and it was poking fun at a lot of stuff. Nobody was taking it overly seriously. But as you were saying, Claire, you know, there's, there's a surprising amount of gore in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just got everything to the right. And there is a strong story throughout. Yeah. Mm. And we were saying that it's so nice and refreshing to see a film just end. Like the story's mm. been told, it's finished now. There's no sort of big wrapping up. Yeah, there's no sort of like prologue or what happened to everyone yeah. after this. And it's like, you know why? Because no one gives a fuck. Yeah, Lionheart's <laughs> dead. You know, that's that's it. It's done its job. We'll yeah. film the building burn to its ground. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I think also it's it's got enough of everything, like you say, because it's re it is gory. Yeah. 
Mm. You know, there are some nasty fucking deaths in it. Mm. So from that point of view, your you sort of your gore hound or your sadist is going to be quite satisfied with it. Yeah. I'm actually satisfied by the fact that there is a lot of gritty London, which I think, I yeah. mean, especially mm. like the Michael Hongdon death, that's like the extremist episode of the Sweeney that you will ever watch. <laughs> But it's like, like you said, Lee, it being on location just made it look so good, really mm. added. Yeah. 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 And it's, like a, it's a good snapshot of London at the time because mm. you've got stuff mm. like, you, you are talking about like, there's Devlin's flat and, and then, just below it. and then just, yeah, just below it, you've got like mm. the wrecked docks and you've got, mm. I mean, that bit, the bit where they've got the, they, like um, Edwina meets Devlin by that sort of hump, uh, that um, bridge tunnel. Yeah. I mean, that could be, you know, that could be like 1800s. Yeah. Until a car appears, you know. Perhaps that's why the meth drinkers sort of in their Victorian, in their crumpled top hat, doesn't look out of place. It's only when you think about it. Mm. Yeah, because they would be out, they would be out of place if they were in Devlin's flat. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, it's like, that's costuming. Yeah, because it's kind of, you know, you can see the, they're not what we've got now. They're not the full on skyscrapers, but there are big glass modern buildings outside. Mm. It's still on London Bridge. And as you say, the, the old stuff of the dock is old London dock when it was a horrible, filthy old dock yeah. that hadn't been used for 60, 70 years at this point. Mm. Yeah, and it, it's, it's a real time capsule of a movie where it shows that where we went from what we'd had from the Victorian era that had just been kind of left derelict before it suddenly all became Canary Wharf and it was big glass skyscrapers with big lasers on top and all the, you know, the shit that we've got now. Yeah, and it's a perfect encapsulation of that that period in between. Yeah, it's just, it's gorgeous to shoot in and just looks fantastic. I'm going to give you some further viewing. I know this is like a weird one, but it just came up while I was, because there's so many crossovers of people in this being in other films together. Um, so I'm going to say, I said about Kind Hearts and Coronets, just because of Dennis Price's presence, a few of the other actors are in it, but mainly that is just a really good film to watch. Uh, the Bed Sitting Room, the Spike Milligan film, you've got quite yes. a few people in that. You've got um, uh, Arthur Lowe and uh, Michael Horndon, and, and they that's just a great apocalypse comedy. Yeah. Um, then you've got The Plank, the Eric Sykes, like, sort of silent classic. Well, my, my dad, who did have a bit of a... I uh, don't know what it was, but he just, he just didn't like Eric Sykes. I don't know what had happened. <laughs> but uh, he didn't like Eric Sykes, so he'd always like The Plank. Eric Sykes, he fucking is. Yeah. Let <laughs> <laughs> shake you down for you. Pocket money. What happened? Um, but also, there's a film called The Ruling Class, and a lot of the people in this, like... Um, yeah, you've mentioned that a few times. Yeah, and that is a film with Peter O'Toole, and it's, again, a very blackly comic film. And the guy who plays Trevor Dickman is his father in it, who dies. And basically what happens is, is uh, it's the, what are they, the Earl of Gurney. And... Um, the old Earl dies in a sex accident. So Trevor Dickman there, yeah, acting to type apparently. Yes. Um, and then they like bring the they're going to bring the new lord in, but the new lord has been in a mental asylum since he was a child because 
he's delusional and believes he's Jesus Christ. So they bring him into the world of the like the being the Lord of the Manor, but no one no one else in the family and no one connected to him can understand him because he because he's because in his head he's Christ. Mm. He wants to be nice to people and he wants to help people, and it's basically the whole point of it being the ruling class is they're like. What the fuck is wrong with him? Of course he's insane. He's giving away his money. He's yeah. doing this. And, but, then, but when it takes a really bleak turn is that they get a psychiatrist in to fix him and the psychiatrist fixes him, but unbeknownst to any of them, he now believes he's Jack the Ripper. <laughs> but although he believes he's Jack the Ripper, everyone else thinks he's cured because they mm. consider he's work, he now feels like a member of the aristocracy because he's basically this horrible brutal capricious murdering fuck it's it's right in yeah Yeah, it's 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 seriously it's really good you've got like i say trevor dickman's in it arthur lowe plays the butler who is fucking incredible um because he basically because the earl is nice to him he's like oh just have a drink you know so he's just wandering around pissed and there's just a bit where he throws he brings in he's been uh, he's in the old lord's will as well so he's going to come in with a lot of money and he just comes in at one point with a tray of like t- just throws it on the floor tears served and then walks <laughs> in and, and yeah it's, it, it's a really great film so I definitely a recommend off of this is The Ruling Class cause, and um, uh, Coral, Coral Brown's in it as um, uh, one of the like relatives and stuff like that and it, yeah you, you'll spot loads of people in it um, like one of the meth drinkers is in there and stuff. So, yeah. And uh, I highly recommend. Okay. That sounds fantastic. Um, right. So, I think we should probably wrap it up. I think we've been uh, wittering on for a very long time this evening. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry, yes. Sorry, Kate. It's good. Well, no, that's the lovely thing is to have Claire on after she's been mm. mentioned so often and uh, feels like part of the team, although... Yeah, it's... Uh, she's not pulling her waves. That, that's not it at all. I was just like, you know, <laughs> well, you are the originator of Ask Welcome to Horror. Yeah. And, and by the same extension, you're the originator of Hashtag Ask Not For Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome, boys. We love you. So what, what could we watch to get Claire back again? Yeah, tell us. What would be the next step? Well, it's funny because I said to you, didn't I, that I've not that Hitchcock feels like a gap to mm. me. Because I've watched like horror icons. Um, I've not really watched anything modern, and I mean like the last ten years modern. Mm. Um, so I've not seen anything like that. And maybe an introduction to ghosts, but something that's not too <laughs> shit your pants. That's something yeah. I'd quite like to dip my toe in. Um, because sort of ghosts and zombies are still my things that I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't like. One day. Yeah. Okay. So we've got ghosts, zombies, Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Yeah. And something modern. And something modern. Hmm. Is, is this like the just wedding list? Yes. Why don't we go for something modern next? Would you be willing to join us again next week, Claire? Yeah. 
okay maybe we should go for something modern then because we've not done anything modern for a while now i don't feel mm. um mm. gonna have to edit some of this because i need to think something modern <laughs> <laughs> leave it as a surprise yeah yes let's do that so oh, God, i'm stuck in okay. here I'm trying to think of something modern to watch. Oh, Mandy. 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 Come yeah, on. Yeah, that's not a bad suggestion. Okay, yeah. So let's do that next. So let's do Mandy next week. Okay. Yeah. I'm yeah, because you've not seen it. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, yeah. But I have seen <laughs> you in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant just now. <laughs> it's very hot in here. <laughs> I'm concerned by that. Yeah, excellent. Right, so we'll uh, we'll do put it away. I don't want to see so it that, live. So that was 2018. So that mm. is pretty new. Excellent. Right, so we'll do Mandy next week. If you you are uh, happy to join us again, Claire. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Fantastic. Excellent. Right. So thanks ever so much for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, then go and watch Theatre of Blood because we all highly recommend it. And if you got to this far in the podcast, we've ruined it. Right. <laughs> like you say, it's 50 years old. Yeah. Diana Regan, a moustache. Still sexy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so go and watch Mandy, and we will see you all next week. Don't forget to send in your hashtag Ask Welcome to Our Questions, although you never do. But it's all right, we don't take it personally. Yeah, we, we, we just do it internally now. Yeah. yeah. We've got our own personal team of uh, insiders who do it for us, so it's excellent. Um, yeah, and we'll see you next week for Mandy. Thanks very much. Good night. Bye. Good night. Bye.